0: In this episode, I speak with Tamara Johanna Klink. Tamara is the founder of the Global Support Network, F-I-I-T, FIT Collective. Key points addressed were Tamara's professional history and current dream job with Salesforce. We also discussed her founding the FIT Collective, which stands for Females in Information Technology and serves as a global support network for females working in tech or considering a career in tech. Stay tuned for my talk with Tamara Johanna Klink. Hi, my name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciacathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. and welcome back. I'm your host, Patricia, and today I'm excited to be sitting down with Tamara Johanna Klink. She's the founder of Fit Collective, a global support network for females working in tech or considering a tech career. You can find out more about her and um, Fit Collective at fitcollective.com. Welcome, Tamara.
1: Thank you so much, Patricia, for having me.
0: Absolutely. I look forward to unpacking Fit Collective and everything that you're doing there. For everyone listening and perhaps new to the podcast series, we'll follow the same trajectory, a roadmap for today's um, podcast, and it follows the same trajectory as all of those in this series with our inquiry line, first looking at unpacking Tamara's um, academic background and early professional life leading leading her up to the founding of Fit Collective. Then we'll turn straight to unpacking Fit Collective. We'll get into the logistics of um, who, what, when, where, why, how, funding, all of those things that may um, pertain to it. And then we'll get into the ethos and some of the philosophy behind what Tamara is doing with um, her vision there. We'll then turn our efforts towards unpacking and looking at the goals and plans that she has in the future for both Fit Collective and her other work endeavors. And we'll wrap everything up with advice that she may have for those of you looking to get involved with Fit Collective and or emulate some of her career success. Before I begin peppering Tamara with questions, I'll read a quick bio on her so that we can garner a bit of her background prior to her describing it herself. Tamara's life purpose is to empower females working in technology to live a balanced and purposeful life. She founded Fit Collective to create a global support network for females working in tech. Or considering information technology as a career. Along the way, Tamara spent eight years as a circus performer, graduated from Bond University with a bachelor's of business and accounting, and then moved into recruitment before finding her joy in technology. Tamara now works for Salesforce, one of the leading technology companies globally as a senior solution engineer. Since founding her business, Tamara has been awarded the top five leading ladies in tech on Instagram by Women Who Code, top blogs young women in technology should follow by Code Like a Girl, a finalist for the ARN Women in ICT Awards, and a finalist in the Emerging Leader category of the Empowerment Women Awards. So, tomorrow, that's really exciting. You've had some, like, really um, quick, uh, early-on success, and I'm excited to kind of climb through what you're doing now and find out more about it. But before we do that, could you please, um, for our audience listening and watching today, kind of describe your um, academic background and early professional life that led you to where you are right now?
1: Yeah, no problem. Did you want me to start back in the circus as that was yes? I, I want all of it,
0: I do, and you can't <laughs> drop a little tidbit like that without me just dying to hear more about
1: it. Awesome! So, ever since I was a little girl, I was a sporty kid and I really enjoyed and excelled in professional sports. So, I went to state for swimming, water polo, I was very good at dancing, gymnastics but none of them had my heart. And it was one day when I was walking down Queen Street Mall in Brisbane, and I saw these kids doing circus tricks. And I looked at my mom saying, oh my God, that is so cool. That's exactly what I want to do. And she's thinking, my gosh, Tamara, you are already doing a million other things, Um, but okay, let's give it a go. So I started doing circus at the age of 10. And by the age of 15, I moved out of home and was traveling all of Australia with a circus school. So I would still go to normal high school, but the teachers would come on tour with us to ensure that we did all our exams the same as every other normal kid would at the same time. And we would schedule our tours and performances around those exam timetables. And my ultimate goal at that point was to be in Cirque du Soleil, that was was the dream. And in my graduating year, when I was 18 years old, I had an injury and Mm. it wasn't severe, but it was enough for me to wake up and realize how dominant or how much my body needed to be fit and healthy for me to have a sustainable career at circus. And everything that my parents said about, you know, moving out of home, I mean, at the time I was going to an all-girls Catholic boarding school before I went um, to circus, so it was a big shift for them emotionally. Um, So, yeah, everything just came rushing back of them saying that I needed a backup. So I decided to listen as much as I didn't want to and put my head in the books and studied really, really hard in my final year at school and ended up going to university in the Gold Coast where I studied business management and accounting. And the goal was to just get my degree and then head back to circus. But that wasn't the case at all. I fell in love with university and left my circus career behind. And naturally I excelled in accounting. So as any, I guess, university student would think, what you excel at, you should pursue. So I ended up getting a part-time job in a tax accounting firm and then studying part-time and then having three other casual jobs on the side to ensure that I could sustain the party life and buy all the new dresses that I wanted. And at the end of my degree, I realized how much I hated accounting and I thought it was really dull and really boring and it wasn't for me and I could not stand to look at another tax return. I needed some more human interaction. Mm -hmm. So I was really, really lost at that point and I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I went to my parents for advice and I had two opportunities on the table. One was in change management at one of the top four firms here in Australia. And another was starting up a recruitment firm for an international recruitment agency in Melbourne. And I spoke to them at the time. I was like, what do you think I should do? And they said, Tamara, you have two options. You can either be a really small fish in a really big pond and start consulting on change management when you have zero industry experience and work really, really, really long hours. Or you can really step outside of your comfort zone and start a recruitment firm. And there you're going to learn how to sell, how to negotiate and build a really, really thick skin, because not everyone likes recruiters. <laughs> right. And um, so, yeah, I decided to start the recruitment firm. I thought it's going to give me a really good perspective of all of the industries out there and firsthand knowledge of all of the different corporate cultures. And then after that, I'll know where I want to go and guide my career that way. So... Funnily enough, the recruitment side of the business that I was starting was Salesforce recruitment. And at the time, I had no idea what Salesforce was. I was like, what is, what is a CRM? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. And so in the first week, I had to do a presentation to my managers at the time and about Salesforce and the type of candidates that we would hire. By the end of the presentation, my manager said to me, when can we get Salesforce in here? We need it as a CRM. And I was just so passionate about it. I would be the first one in the firm to be there in the morning, researching about Mark Benioff and what technology he's just bought and the latest innovations. And I ended up spending more time learning about Salesforce than actually recruiting. And one day I decided to do what I did best. And that was take a day off and recruit. And I recruited myself into all of the different organizations that I knew had Salesforce or specialized in Salesforce implementations and just said, look, I'm a junior. I don't know a lot. I've been studying Salesforce. I'm really passionate about it. Would you give me a chance to work at your firm and you know I'll do whatever it takes. I'll work the long hours. I'll do whatever course. And two organisations had said yes. And I decided to go with the organisation that specialised in marketing cloud, which is what I specialise in today. And I honestly could not believe that they hired me. I had zero technical knowledge, zero technical skills. And within the first two weeks, they put me on site with clients and building the platform, and I just fell so deeply in love with it, ended up being a developer, and then after two years, got a job at Salesforce. So that's my career journey, but I guess where I want to specialise, where I want to talk about is where Fit Collective came into that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What was the inspiration for launching Fit Collective? Was it something that germinated for a long time, or was it just something that kind of hit you? one day? Mm.
1: Well, being in recruitment and specializing in tech recruitment and Salesforce recruitment, I started to notice how many men I was talking to. And at the time, it it wasn't an issue at all. You know, I, I love men. I think they're great. I think they're really intellectual and very smart. And when I started my job at Kaleido, which was the partner that first hired me with zero technical skills, I very quickly realized that my team were all men. And that wasn't an issue at all. They didn't discriminate against me. They really looked after me. They gave me so many different opportunities. I wouldn't be where I am today without them. But I couldn't be what I couldn't see. And there was no senior management there at the time that were female. And I was lost in where my career path could go. So I started looking online for some tech events that I could attend and meet other women who were in tech. And I found some really, really great events with girls in tech and Code Like a Girl, and they were just phenomenal. But the issue at the time was that I didn't have time to attend these events all the time. Working in tech, you do have implementation projects that require later hours at times. And I found myself signing up to these events but not being able to go. So I looked online looking for some other career stories about women in tech and the ones that I found I didn't feel were authentic. I felt like it highlighted all of the success but it didn't talk about the challenges that women have to go through to get to where they are today. Yeah. And they missed such a big piece of the puzzle which was the life aspect. You know, it focused all on the career but what about the life? And what about falling pregnant and going on maternity leave and what it's like to come off maternity leave and the guilt that you have behind that. Why aren't we talking about that? Like, why is that seen as a weakness? So I started off with an Instagram account just to see if there was an audience out there. And if there were other women in tech who, you know, wanted that holistic view and that work-life balance and being more purposeful in both work and life And my Instagram account just blew up and I thought, okay, this is an opportunity, started a website, and now it's turned into a podcast, which I absolutely love. And yeah, there's just so
0: much that I want to do with it. So I'm curious, when your audience started to grow, was it local? Did you you make it immediately global or was it Australian? And was it largely women or female identified or did any of those profilistic characteristics matter?
1: Yeah, so I thought that my audience would be predominantly in Australia, but it's actually most mostly in the US, mm. which uh, is amazing, I love. Um, I definitely want to go to the US again one day. I think it's such an incredible country. and But I do have a lot of men, as well and that's not a problem for me at all because men are part of the picture and that's what an equal workforce looks like and we need them to have that diversified thinking and we need them to help us get to the levels that we deserve so it, it was global straight away us predominant and then i would say australia and then the asian countries
0: Okay. Let's get into some of the um, the logistics. So am I correct that it's a FIT collective stands for females in information technology? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that's where you're getting the acronym. When was it founded? Did you take any funding? Do you have any co-founders and um, yeah, let's start with those
1: three. Okay. Awesome. So the website started May, 2018 And that was just me blogging about my experience as a female in tech and talking about the different areas of life, so tech, well-being, and balance, and getting other women in tech to share their stories and their advice and how they got to where they are today. And what I found in doing that, it was very time-consuming. And Mm. I'm not a natural writer at all. That's something that I've struggled with, having... A mother who comes from the Netherlands, I guess her English wasn't her strong suit either. So it was very time consuming for me, and I thought I was doing a disservice to those women by not sharing their stories to a wider audience. So that's when my partner, Joel Norton, thought that launching a podcast would be a great idea.: Yeah, So the podcast launched in September 2019, and it's absolutely. Skyrocketed since then, and I love
0: doing it. And then your last question
1: was about the founders or yeah. funding. Yeah,
0: you and what did you found it alone? And um, since have you brought on other founders? If so, and did you bootstrap or get funding? So
1: I so I founded it by myself initially, but my partner Joel Norton, I would also classify him as a, a founder, whether he likes that or not. <laughs> but it honestly. Wouldn't be where it is today without him. I wouldn't have stepped through so many hoops outside of my comfort zone to launch the podcast and the website. And he's very technical and helped me a lot with the website and is a very good writer. So he reads and edits everything that I write. So I definitely classify him as a founder, if not the CEO and helping me lead the way there and in terms of funding nope it's all self-funded by myself so i'm very grateful that i do have a very good salary at salesforce to help fund my business but it is getting to the stage where you know i am looking for sponsorship i'm really hoping to increase the amount of podcasts that i release and start advertising on there but it's a fine line of adding ads to your podcast and making sure those ads are helping my audience. I don't Mm -hmm. want ads that aren't irrelevant or that are disrupting their listening and it's not bringing value to them. So yeah, it's a very fine line. And if you have any advice,
0: I'd love to know. Oh yeah. Well, I, the same, uh, no, I, I think you're right to be very considerate. Um, I, I host four different podcasts and, um, I, I, I take myself seriously because of the communities that I'm speaking with, um, not on the whole. As a person, I don't think I take myself that seriously. However, working with women and female-identified non-binary individuals such as yourself and telling the Professional Chronicles um, over the past three years, it's been a struggle. I, I haven't, you know, done a lot of partnerships and sponsorships um, we've had offers for acquisition that couldn't go through simply because I couldn't guarantee the authenticity and value staying the same to those audiences. So I yeah. think it depends on you, the niche market, you speaking to women. I think that's getting better. I think that the actual industry is growing up before our eyes. Podcasting is, was very much so still the Wild West three years ago. And now there seems to, to be some kind of a tenor you know, and, a, um, a, a, an appropriate following and things like that. And even though there's still variance in, in how people put them out, I was always like, where's the structure? Like, how do I know what I'm getting? And I think a lot of those things are carrying over into sponsorship and partnership as well. I think that people are starting to get that you don't want to just go rogue and have some anti-female ad suddenly on your, you know, female podcast, that would be daunting. So, um, I do think that that is happening before our eyes, but I do think you are also, um, very wise to consider those kinds of aspects before you just kind of throw it all, you know, into the wind, because you do, you have an onus, you have a responsibility to this community that's been sharing stories with you and listening to each other's stories and things like that. And so there's, there's a reference, at least, um, from me that I think is required. I love your, um, Well, I like your website design. I think it's very clean. Uh, there's been a lot of change. Um, I originally came up in Silicon Valley and, um, you know, the, the, the newest rage and stuff like that with website design can be like the worst color of orange for a prom dress that you've ever seen. Like, it's just kind of like, you can't fall too quickly for like the new things because they're very fad-like. And so I like that, um, your site has like a classic timelessness to it, which I feel like any site that's supposed to be for a collective or that kind of a word has a lot of heady meaning for me, and so I like the um, the design and what it looks like. But I also like that you very um, judiciously and succinctly get into like clear mission, you know, about what you, what you're meant to do, what you what you're intending. For the collective and things like that, and I want to kind of ask you about that. Um, I grabbed a quote uh, you. It's from your site. It says, "Our vision is for fifty percent of the global information technology workforce to be female." Um, and I think that that kind of a mission is cool. I think it's important to like say those kinds of things, even though it's it's a lot. You know, it's it's a lot of people would say that and be like, "Ah, maybe." I uh, you know, there's a lot that goes along with that. But I like that um, you're stating it. You also talk about um, you know transparency and communication and all of these values that you really you uphold in the collective and i want to kind of unpack that a little bit more and see where some of the um future or current action items are in how they're meeting up with those philosophies so can uh, can you kind of speak to main areas of conversation that your collective is happening or are there initiatives that people are getting behind is it as much as petitions being signed or are there any things that people are actually doing to start putting some of these goals into actual um, work, real action items?
1: Yeah, there is there is a lot that's happening and I'm so grateful that a lot of male allies are running these petitions and pushing for regulations to be changed. So in Australia, there's a lot happening with equal pay mm. and Salesforce in itself has... You know, I, th- I think they've balanced the pay by, I think it's $12 million now to ensure that all the employees, no matter what race, gender, religion, that they're paid the equal as their colleagues. So there is a lot of movement like that happening and having paternity leave, so giving men the option to be able to take that paternity leave. Scandinavia is definitely leading the way there they make it mandatory so you either use it or lose it so when an employer is looking to hire a male or female both of them could have the opportunity to take 12 months off the year so there's no discrimination and there's no unconscious bias when hiring a male or female so that's knocked off the park straight away there is a lot of it's not some organizations are a little bit more aggressive and that's not the approach that I would like to take. Like I mentioned before, men are part of the picture and Fit Collective isn't about females taking over the world. It's just about simple equality. And it's funny when you look more and more into it and see how many aspects of the organization are molded to fit a man's world. So for Mm -hmm. example, the air conditioning. That's at a level that is most comfortable to men and not to women. Women like it a little bit more warmer. So it's just simple things like that, that organisations are becoming more aware of. And I don't think any organisation is purposefully making unconscious bias or discrimination against any gender or religion or so forth. I think it's just more about being open and aware of what is equal and that we're not asking for anything more than what a man would ask for. yeah. So there is a lot happening. I wouldn't say there's petitions so forth. Um, I don't think we need to get there, but there are slowly changing regulations all over the world.
0: Do you make goals? And if so, is it a collective? How does it work when you have so many people kind of belonging to this union? Um, And has that changed since the launch? Do you make goals as to what you would like to see it be a, a part of, what you would like to see Fit Collective have its like um, thumbprint on, its it's like signature to, or are you still kind of forming that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny because I'm so passionate about Fit Collective and I'm so passionate about Salesforce, like I could not think about losing one or the other. So I have very big goals for both. But then it comes that whole art of balancing and being realistic in what you can and can't achieve. So I guess within the first next three years, what I would like to do is really increase the podcast because that has just seen such an incredible shift. And the reviews and the direct messages that I get on Instagram and on LinkedIn, I just mind-blowing and I have best-selling authors contacting me asking me to be on their podcast and I have women messaging me opening up to the stories that they've had that they resonated with some of the guests that I've had on the show like it's just it, it honestly there's days where I cry because I'm so grateful to be able to have that impact on a female and make them feel like that they can have it all and that they can pursue their wildest dreams and they are worthy of receiving that. So the first point of call is increasing that um, tech podcast frequency. So currently it's fortnightly. So hopefully get it to weekly, then create a number of e-learning programs to really help women in tech accelerate their career. So I've got one, I've got a few ideas, but I've got one that's due to be launched soon. And then I have a really ambitious app idea and that's to develop an MVP for a female centric productivity app. So I'm super excited about that. And as well as you know, really big goals for Salesforce as well. So really big goals there and I'm very ambitious to get them, but as long as I'm putting my mental and physical health as a priority because that's everything that I talk about and it's really important. And if they're not intact, then you can't possibly achieve all the goals that you want to.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely true. And it's, it's good to recognize it young. I think a lot of the women that I speak to and female identified individuals are, um, you know, in, in a place of, of a little bit more pain and um, sacrifice after they've come to that conclusion. It's good to recognize that at a younger age. I'm curious about your podcast and I'm, I, so I had the opportunity, you're in Australia. We talked about this um, pre-recording and, I had the opportunity to be in Sydney and actually do a couple of podcasts there. And I went to a meetup group based on local podcasters there and um, had the opportunity to speak and and kind of um, share the platform. I wasn't sure how different it would be where you're at um, versus my side of the globe. But um, I did learn that there's a lot of different networks and there's a lot of different ways, like you said, ads and things like that. Um, There's a lot of podcasters in the States that are just, you know, um, cow people, they will just kind of up and bootstrap it all and just figure it out as they go. And they don't really think about those things. And I found, at least a lot of my Australian counterparts to be very thoughtful and meticulous, at least at that that, that pace that they were finally at when I um, when I met up with them at the meetup group. And I'm wondering with you, are you on, so I know your podcast is, you can locate it on your website, but are you hosted on other networks? You Australia has a very famous podcasting um, female network that um, yeah. Kelly Glover, I, I interviewed her um, and she used to work for it, but it was one of the first ones I had ever even heard of, um, even including in the States. But I'm wondering if you have, um, if you host it yourself or if it's nestled in different indexes, how does that work for um, you guys down under?
1: Yeah. So I didn't know about that all female um, podcast hosting. You'll have to, I'll have to look up her up after this episode. Yeah. That's really interesting. So it's just on all of the regular podcast channels like Apple and Spotify and Stitcher and Tune, iHeartRadio. It's all on my website. Um, I do think that I have had a few emails lately that it is opening up into the Scandinavian countries and I just assumed that they would be there already. I don't know if you've had the same as Mm -hmm. well. Um, So I would assume that it's, that it's available globally but that could be naive of me to to think that
0: well and i wasn't sure either i actually did podcasts um, about a year and a half ago out of sweden and um ireland and i wasn't sure when i was there and the people that i contacted i gave them just my natural like itunes spotify address and, um, and I did get notifications. They were all able to access it, but I also got notifications that they're um, kind of doing their own hosting of channels and things like that. I think people, again, you know, you're kind of witnessing the toddlerdom of, of podcasting. It's growing up before our eyes, which is kind of a ride. I mean, you, how, how frequently can you say that? It's like being around when the, you know, the computer first launched, it would have been a riot. Um, so that's interesting. So I'm wondering, um given that you're doing this within the podcasting as you know this kind of beloved creature of yours, how is it based? Are you doing it all interview based? How, um, are you running a length? Are you picking topics? Are you allowing the collective to weigh in on what is spoken about? How does all of that work when you're doing your um, fortnightly podcast?
1: Yeah, so it's a combination. So when I first started because I was a bit nervous, being behind the mic, I thought that season one would just be my partner Joel and I talking about some of the challenges that women in tech face and how to overcome them, as well as acknowledging some of the discrimination that men have as well. So, for mm. example, you know, I don't know if you have them in the states, but Father's Day breakfasts is typically at seven a.m., and then Mother's Day breakfast is at ten a.m. So there's discrimination on both ways there, assuming that the father is working and the mother is not. Mm. So, just talking about some of those things, and that it's also difficult for men to leave work early to pick up their child. It's yeah. often looked at thinking, well, why isn't the female doing that? So, there's discrimination both ways. So, I really wanted to have him on the show to have ensure that we have that collective, at least from a male and female standpoint. And just in my preliminary launch, I hadn't even launched a podcast yet. It was just all marketing and showing little sound bites of. The podcast, I actually had the CIO of Susan Group, which is a huge Aussie fashion brand here in Australia, contact me saying, I wanted to be on your podcast and I'd love to be interviewed. And I'm looking at my partner, Joel's thinking, What? This was meant to be season two. I'm not ready to interview people, especially not a (laughs) CIO of a major fashion company. Are you kidding? And then Joel's like, What are you doing? Forget season one, get her on the show. You just need to learn and go for it. So it's sort of been ad hoc since then. I definitely get the input of my collective. I ask all the time on Instagram, what are the topics that they want me to talk about? Or I ask specific questions like, what are some of the challenges that they're facing currently right now and get their input. And we do talk about a lot of those topics. And then with the interviews with the guests, I've been very fortunate. A lot of them have come to me to be on the podcast And I initially have a 30-minute conversation with them and look at their background and have some ideas of the topics that we can talk about and then get a feel of what they're comfortable in and what they're passionate about and what is the impact that they want to make when the podcast is finished. Like, How do they want to transform a female in tech's lives or how do they want to help a male ally help women in tech get to the top? So yeah. it, it's definitely very collaborative and I am very proud that the guests that I've had on the show are very authentic and talk about the challenges. That's really, really important to me. And I do try my best to pull them out and be vulnerable and open because that's, you know, where people really start to relate. So yeah, yeah it's definitely a combination of everything that you talked about. Um,
0: That's fantastic. I think the goal too, I mean, you know, Melinda Gates was telling David Letterman on his um, inquiry show that launched a couple of years ago, she just said, listen, um, if we have to keep women at the table, there's less women in tech right now than 10 years ago. And um, it's a huge concern for, you know, women who are allied to women in tech or women who are in tech. I have two daughters for that reason alone. I mean, you know, it's, it's scary to think that we're losing our place at the table because we will lose our voice in the future and the future is tech and we want to have a seat at that table and we need about 50 percent of those seats not one you know and so i think it's so crucial to have um organizations like yours and fit collective like out there sharing stories making sure we're still having these important conversations and to be clear, you know, um, pay parity, um, sexism across all boards, across all genders, it services nobody. Men lose mm. out, women lose out, non-binary people, we all lose. There, I can show everyone that paradigm very, very quickly. Any kind of bigotry actually doesn't service a society very well. And that's why ones that go about eliminating it have a happier work-life balance and just a happier citizenship in general. So, um, it's, it's definitely for, you know, I have two boys and two girls and it's for everyone, but I do think that your mission is, um, is audacious and awesome. And I love it. I love Fit Collective. I love everything about it. When we're wrapping up. I'm running out of time, which I wish we weren't. I'm going to, um, I'm going to go into my final question, which I, um, I'm known for. And it's one of my favorite. Everyone's like, are you ever going to change it? And I was like, no, never. I bit <laughs> forever. So, um, if you were at a safe social distance from someone in a garden or a park um, tomorrow, and uh, they walked up to you and it was a young woman or female identified, a non-binary individual, anyone other than a straight white male for purposes of this podcast, um, and they said, "Listen, tomorrow, I'm so glad I caught you. So check it out. Um, I you know I, I I have this incredible background in a sport. And I, um, I went into uni, I got my stuff done. I thought I was going to go back to the sport. I ended up not doing it. And then it turned out that I was studying something at uni that I had to kind of pivot. Then people gave me two options and I chose the harder of the option. I found my niche. I found this company, this work that I'm obsessed with. And I'm getting ready to launch this, this side Um, passion hustle project that I'm just I'm elated to do it but um, I'm getting ready to do it without a whole lot of mentorship what are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual knowing what you know now Mm. I would definitely say ensure
1: that this is your purpose your purpose is very different to following your passion and I think a lot of people get confused Mm. between the two And your passions change, just like in my story. My passion was circus. Then it was accounting, but they change. Your purpose doesn't. And I was very, very grateful to find that very early in my life. And it is tough finding it. You have to dig really, really deep and open all the skeletons out of your closet to understand what that is. Because if you follow your passion, you end up just creating a job for yourself. And that's no different to what you are doing today. Whereas if you follow your purpose, you're intrinsically motivated to continue even through the most challenging times. So I'd say that would be the first piece of advice. The second is just get started. It's so easy to get caught in a trap of striving for perfection. Whereas you, you just need to get an MVP out there, test the market. Is there an audience? I started with an Instagram account. Do whatever way that works for you and then just test, iterate, test, iterate, and then you evolve and build a product that you're really, really proud of. And the third one, if I can only choose three, (laughs) would be to get a mentor. I wouldn't be where I am today without my mentors. So without my partner, Joel Norton, and the mentors that I have at Salesforce and outside of Salesforce, they are a big part of where I am today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not sure, like, the and the word mentor, like, there's a lot of people calling it different things, but I, I don't know of anyone who got to happiness or the top of a mountain or a hill without some kind of an advisor teacher or mentor that they could really... Um, Guide themselves by. All right. So I've got um, ensure that uh, this is your purpose. It's different from your passion. So recognize what your purpose is and make sure that this endeavor is that. Just get started and get a mentor.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs>
0: those are perfect three. I love those. And they they really mm-hmm. do cross like industry, genre, like you could tell that to a young artist. It's perfect the next biochemist. Uh, Well, tomorrow we're out of time, but I I wish we weren't. And I thank you so much. I know you got up early for this and I know you're busy. Uh, Everyone is, but um, you in particular, and I really appreciate you sharing your story and your candor and all of your information with us today.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Patricia. I've had a lot of fun and I wish you all the success. And I'm looking forward to hearing the podcast when it gets
0: launched. You bet, you as well. And for everyone listening, we've been speaking with Tamara Johanna Klink and you can find out more. She's the founder of Fit Collective and you can look it up online. It's fitcollective.com. Thank you for giving us your time today. And until we speak again next time, remember to always bet on yourself. It's lunch.